You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise and Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's talk about this truly unexplainable story out of Kansas City where no arrests have been made, but three men are dead. All right, eight days ago, three men, 38-year-old Ricky Johnson, 36-year-old Clayton McGinney, and 37-year-old David Harrington, went to their buddy Jordan Willis's house. So Jordan's having friends over to watch the Chiefs game. And I'm going to preface that lots of rumors are surrounding this case. I'm going to try to do my best to dispel some of them and to not also indulge in other rumors. All right, at one point, most of the partygoers left. And just the man who rented the home, which is Jordan, and his three friends, Ricky, Clayton, and David, they're just hanging out. And that's where the details seem to get fuzzy. Because Sunday turns into Monday, and three men are missing, and family are trying to track them down. Over the next two days, Jordan isn't answering calls. People have shown up to his house, and he isn't answering the door. And then, by Tuesday, the loved ones of the three men, well, they're in complete panic mode. Tuesday evening rolls around. That's two complete days since the men have been heard from. Then one of the men's fiancés, she took matters into her own hands. She was banging on the door of Jordan's home just before 10 p.m., screaming for answers about where her fiancé and his friends were. And she doesn't get an answer back. So she starts to explore the property. She's just looking for any clues about where the men possibly could be. Well, she does find a window to the basement area of the home that she works her way through. After entering that area of the home, she could then see into the fenced backyard and she noticed what she thought was a dead body outside on the back porch. She retreated from the home immediately and she called police. All right, I want to pause here to clarify how could she see the back porch from the basement window? So looking at pictures of the house, I'm guessing that she was in an area referred to 
as the basement, but I think that it's a basement where only half of the living space is underground. It's just my guess trying to decipher how this story plays out. Well, back to the story. When they arrived at the home, officers knocked at the door and Jordan actually answered. Okay, remember, he's been AWOL for two days. He's not answering anyone's calls. He didn't answer when the fiance of one of his friends was banging on the door. And then when she saw the dead body through the basement window, he was in the house the whole time, but he didn't answer her. Now, when officers searched the area, they found the body on the back porch and then two more dead bodies in the privacy fenced backyard. And the names of the three men, well, they weren't released until three days later. So the game happened on Sunday. The men are found Tuesday night, and we don't find out till Friday the names of the men. And in all of that time, Jordan has not been arrested or charged with anything. So what happened? Well, here's what police are offering. They say they need to wait until autopsies are finished to determine what the cause of deaths are for the three men. But they are saying that no signs of foul play were observed at the house or in the backyard or on the bodies. Now, Fox 4 in the Kansas City area is reporting that Jordan is telling people that his friends froze to death in the backyard of his home. But police aren't saying that. In fact, Police are being tight-lipped and telegraphing that they won't have any answers for several weeks pending autopsy results. All right, enter stage left all of the rumors. One of them being that Jordan had dogs, and how could he have not let them out into the fenced yard where the dogs would have discovered the bodies of his friends? Well, on Facebook posts, it's been reported that the dogs were actually with the family members and that he wasn't caring for them during the party or the two days following. Who knows? I've seen it reported both ways. Then there's another rumor that when Jordan answered the door, when the cops knocked, he was only wearing boxers and he was drinking wine out of a wine glass. Again, Who knows? But if this one is true, it's very disturbing that Jordan was showing such relaxed behavior while three of his friends lay dead just outside of his home. And another thing, if all seemed well with Jordan on the night he answered when the police knocked, why isn't he answering texts or phone calls over the two previous days? Right, then there's another item. It's been rumored that two of the men's cars were parked at Jordan's house. So, only two cars, because one of the men rode with one of the other men, and then one came alone. Okay, this one can actually be explained away. If they weren't cars that Jordan was familiar with, maybe Jordan wouldn't realize that the men hadn't actually left his home. Okay, now all of that has to be prefaced with, were the cars in his driveway? If the cars are parked on the street, that could be true. If the car was in his driveway, I don't know how Jordan doesn't understand that somebody hasn't left his home. Okay, so that one's still up in the air. Now, Jordan hasn't been charged. And when I'm speculating on these rumors, I'm just trying to see what police might be seeing. So also in the vein of seeing what the police are seeing, I live where you get plenty of snow each winter. I don't go into my backyard while there's snow on the ground. I don't have little kids playing in the snow. My five-pound dog goes out there and does her business, and then she comes back in, and that's about it, you guys. I'm going to guess that Jordan could argue exactly the same thing, 
that he doesn't go into his backyard when it's snowy and cold. He doesn't have kids out there playing. And if he really didn't have his dogs with him during those days, then there's the potential that no one's actually going into the backyard. Now, arguing the other side of that story, if the fiance who broke into the home could see the dead body, how could Jordan not see the dead body? Was he not looking out the windows of his own home? Well, David's mother, she's speaking out about her son's death. She told Fox 4 that hearing of his death was the most devastating moment of her life. She found out the news of his death while she was at work, and she just collapsed onto the floor. She says she is furious about the lack of answers. She also said no one believes Jordan's story, not her son's friends and not any of the families of the three dead men. Now, it also appears that a woman named Adriana Juarez is the mother of Ricky Johnson's child. Now, she's claiming on TikTok that Jordan absolutely knew that those three men were dead in his backyard. She's posted several pictures with Ricky, and so I think we should give credibility to her opinions. And since I was digging all over TikTok and Facebook and Instagram, trying to find out information, I'm just going to share something with you that I repeatedly saw. Person after person commenting on a few posts about these murders and the people commenting, they live in the Kansas City area. Well, they're saying that they had never heard of this case. It's as if the case isn't being highlighted that much. And I don't know if that's because police are just working so diligently and hard that they don't want to harm the investigation by sharing information, or if that they're just going to be three somewhat forgotten men. Okay, I don't want to forget them here. So let's talk about the three men. And because this story is still so new, we don't really have that much. But I'll give you what I found. Ricky Johnson, well, he was the father of three beautiful girls. In a GoFundMe that's been set up for his pending funeral costs, his niece described how loving he was to his girls and that he had numerous family members and friends who are mourning his death. And David Harrington's mother said that David was just so incredibly funny. She said he was known for telling a joke and having the whole room laughing. She knows so many people will miss that about David. And then on David's Facebook profile, you can see he has mad love for the Kansas City Chiefs. And that leaves Clayton McGinney. Well, I can't find much on him. I wish I could. He made a post on his own Facebook in November of last year saying he was 31 days tobacco free. Now, both Ricky and David commented on that post. They congratulated him for doing so well. You guys, I'm absolutely watching this one. As I was waiting to record this episode, Adriana Juarez, okay, that's the woman I mentioned that said Ricky is the father of her child. Well, she was going to do a TikTok live event to talk about the case. That didn't happen. And that could be for many reasons. Maybe she was told by police to cancel the event and she complied to help the case. Or maybe she just simply changed her mind because it was too painful. Or... Maybe family asked her not to, or a, one of a hundred other reasons. But there's one thing for sure. I just don't think you can explain all of this away on a bad case of partying. Now, hopefully police are finding the evidence they need to help answer the many, many questions surrounding the deaths of these three men.
right, I have a couple of quick updates for you. The first one, on the New Year's Day episode of Rise and Crime, so just two weeks ago, I brought you the story of 18-year-old Savannah Soto and her 22-year-old boyfriend, Matthew Guerra, who were found murdered, execution style, in their Kia. And then that Kia had been abandoned in a random apartment complex parking area. Okay, if you remember, Savannah was pregnant And she was supposed to be induced for delivery on the day that the parents of both Savannah and Matthew reported them missing. Well, when I brought you the story two weeks ago, police were asking for help with the surveillance footage showing the Kia being driven by someone other than Savannah and Matthew. Now that Kia pulls up alongside a dark pickup truck. In the video, both male drivers exit the vehicles and then they do something with a rag that was tossed to the driver of the truck by someone inside the truck. So maybe the driver's wiping down the driver's side door of the Kia, potentially to destroy evidence that he had touched the car, like maybe a DNA transfer. But then the two men get back into their respective vehicles and they leave. Well, three people have now been arrested and charged with the murders and also with aiding in the murders. Okay, first to be arrested was 19-year-old Christopher Presadio, and he was charged with capital murder. Then his father, 53-year-old Ramon Presadio, was charged with abuse of a corpse. Days later, Ramon's partner and the woman who acted like Christopher's stepmother, well, she was arrested. 47-year-old Murda Romanos is facing charges of abuse of corpse, tampering with evidence, and altering or concealing a corpse. Now, a police affidavit obtained by KSAT describes that the parking lot where the footage was initially obtained connects to the area where the Kia was later found. All right, in other footage that has not been released, the Kia allegedly driven by Christopher winds its way through the parking area to the area where the car was dumped. The Chevy pickup follows the Kia. The driver of the Kia abandons the vehicle and gets into the truck And then the truck drives off. Detectives believe Matthew and Savannah were dead in the car during that camera footage. Now, the affidavit states that when Ramon, okay, that's the dad, when he was arrested, he told investigators that he was the man in that camera footage and also that the Chevy truck belonged to him as well. That affidavit also states that Ramon admitted that he assisted his son, Christopher, at a different location where officers believe the shootings happened. Okay, so that's the dad's story. That is, that's according to police. What does Christopher have to say according to police? Well, police contend that when Christopher was questioned, he said that Savannah and Matthew came to his home to sell him marijuana. Christopher claimed that Matthew actually pulled a gun on him and that the two struggled with the gun and Savannah was shot in the back of the head. He then said that Matthew and him continued to struggle with the gun and that Matthew was then shot in the back of the head. Okay, here's where police say Christopher's story doesn't check out. The gun that the affidavit contends was used to shoot Savannah and Matthew? Well, it belongs to Murda. So how did Matthew get Murda's gun? And how do you accidentally shoot two people in the back of the head execution style? Now, Murda has claimed She was not involved in the transfer of the bodies. She told officers that she was asleep. 
but footage shows her exiting the house and getting into the Chevy pickup with her partner, Ramon. Then footage shows her returning with both Christopher and Ramon, presumably after Christopher abandons the Kia and gets into his dad's truck. Now, Ramon's bond has been set at $600,000, and Christopher's bond has been set at $2 million. Murda has a hearing scheduled for next week, and the motive? Well, that really hasn't been clearly identified by detectives, but they did release in the affidavit that Matthew sold drugs via Instagram and this particular cell phone that he used to carry around. He had also been previously shot at. This was before the murders in late December. And police decided that that might be a retaliation for a drug deal gone bad. Okay, it's clear in the affidavit that the police believe Matthew was living a dangerous lifestyle selling drugs. And police said last week they are confident that they have all the suspects arrested in this case. So I'll be watching for pleas and potential plea deals in this case, or if this will actually be going to trial eventually. And eventually is a good word, because that leads in to our next update. All right, this update involves Chad Daybell. It's the case that we may never see go to trial. You guys, I swear. I know I don't need to tell you about the Daybells from Idaho, but here's a refresher for those who might be listening and not fully into true crime yet. Lori and Chad Daybell, well, they're the religious zealots who systematically had people surrounding them die in a span of one year. First, there was Lori's husband, Charles, who was killed by Lori's brother, Alex, in what was described to police as a self-defense shooting. Then Tammy Daybell, that's Chad's wife, well, she died in her bed. Okay, at first that death was ruled natural causes, but that's now been ruled a homicide. Then there was Lori's two children, JJ and Tylee. Well, they went missing. Then Chad and Lori married just weeks after Tammy died, and they ran off to Hawaii, where detectives eventually tracked Lori and Chad down and arrested and jailed Lori for not producing her two children to authorities. Then Lori's brother Alex died at his home in Las Vegas. Again, presumably by natural causes. And then the two children were found dead and buried in Chad's backyard. Okay, everything I just told you, all of that, that happened in just 11 months. Well, Lori has since been convicted of murdering her two children, JJ and Tylee, and she's also been found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder in Tammy's death. She's been sentenced to life in prison in Idaho for those murders, but she's actually in Arizona facing murder charges in the death of her then-husband, Charles, because investigators have ruled that case a homicide instead of a self-defense shooting. So we're waiting to see what happens in that case and when it goes to trial. But we've been waiting for nearly four years for Chad to face his capital murder charges in the deaths of Tammy, JJ, and Tylee. In that whole time, since May of 2021, Chad has been represented by attorney John Pryor. Now, he's a private attorney, not a state-appointed one, and he's qualified to argue a capital murder case. He successfully argued the last few years for Chad and Lori's cases to be severed, which then led to the trial being scheduled for April 1st of this year. That's many, many months after Lori's was held. But 
it doesn't look like that trial is going to happen now. In a motion that was unsealed Friday, John Pryor, the attorney, he wrote that he moves to withdraw as Chad Daybell's counsel. Now, the filing states that Chad was found indigent by the court and he doesn't have the ability to pay for the counsel's continued services. It also states that Chad seeks to be appointed two capital qualified attorneys as he's facing the death penalty. John Pryor then went on to write that remaining on the case would require him to work around the clock more than full time for more than four months without further compensation from Chad. Well, a few weeks back, I was alerted to a property search that shows that John Pryor is now listed as the owner of Chad's home where the bodies of JJ and Tylee were found. So I'm just guessing that John Pryor feels that the payment of the home doesn't offer enough compensation for the upcoming months of trial preparations and also the potentially three months that the trial will take. Now let's just dive into this a little bit. In Idaho, attorneys have to be qualified to argue a capital murder case. Now, Lori Daybell's attorneys were appointed by the state and paid through a state fund, but they're not part of like a DA's office. So will that happen in this case? Will they have to find someone to be appointed and paid by the state? And is there any potential that those two that will be appointed could be the same attorneys that argued for Lori? I don't know. I don't think so, but we'll have to see. Because on Thursday, the judge will rule if John Pryor can be removed from the case. If he is, the trial will be pushed back. And no lawyer will be able to get up to speed on this case in just three and a half months' time. It's going to take months and months and months. So if it does happen and John Pryor is removed, Chad would remain in the small county jail near his home. I'll keep you guys posted. And let's end with this story out of North Carolina, where a woman who was being detained by officers started acting more like a rabid McGruff the crime dog in the rear seat of the police vehicle where she was being detained. Okay, here's how the story goes. A 32-year-old woman who was being cuffed and held in the backseat of a Boone, North Carolina police cruiser uh, because she was being accused of assault kind of went crazy. Now, I need you to remember, this doesn't mean she was being arrested or charged, even though she was in the back of the car, although it could and most usually happens, and it actually does happen in this case. But remember, they might have just been potentially placing her back there to separate her and whomever she was having the scuffle with until they had enough information to possibly arrest her. Or maybe they were detaining to allow law enforcement to get more information from bystanders or those who feel they've been assaulted. And also, quite frankly, it's a way for officers to protect themselves and others from an angry woman. And boy, was this woman angry. Because the 32-year-old must have been in the car for a bit of time while officers did their thing outside of the car because she decided to chew the seat apart. From the looks of the photo, I would say the gaping hole caused by her teeth is at least 8 to 10 inches long. It stretches from the middle of the headrest to the upper portion of the backrest. And the woman also tore out the stuffing after gnawing through the plastic or the leather of the seat. Now, officers did not initially notice the tear when they removed her from the back seat at the station. But they did later see the stuffing and the damage. 
And it seems they took it in stride because they posted it on social media. Okay, I'm getting to the best part of the story. Apparently, the town of Boone Police Department has quite the active Facebook page. The city is only home to about 20,000 people, yet the Facebook page has 21,000 followers. Okay, I look through the page. Their moderator is so good. They should get a raise, in my opinion. So the post on their Facebook page shows a picture of the seat that was treated like a chew toy, and the description says the following. That moment when you are so angry you were arrested that you decide to chew the seat. We may need to invest in Kevlar seat covers. Yes, that happened. Hashtag what we deal with. Okay, that was funny, right? But the true gold is in the comments section. One user wrote, they wouldn't put their mouth on anything back there if they knew what other people do back there. And then they followed that up with the throw up emoji and the poop emoji. Then another user wrote, who did you arrest? Jaws? Then another one typed, I hope her last name wasn't Lecter. You might want to check on the fellow inmates. Then another commented, you are not you when you're hungry. Grab a Snickers. And lastly, just the short comment by someone named Nikki. She wrote, that's methed up. All right, the Boone Police Department has yet to decide if they will be filing additional charges against the toothy criminal for the damage to the cruiser. Well, that's your Monday episode of Rise and Crime. Please keep sending your case suggestions. And you guys, thanks for all the support on the various platforms. It means so much. If you love what you're hearing, give Rise and Crime a like or a follow. And please tell a friend and subscribe while you're at it. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.